things you own end up owning you. What's going on, good people? Welcome back to the podcast. If you've been following the show, you'll probably already know my two guests. They are Kyle Mamunis and Danny Roddy. Kyle has a PhD in nutritional sciences, and Danny Roddy is an independent health researcher. In this episode, I wanted to talk about a couple of other podcasts that were about sugar. Uh, the rest I explain in the episode. Uh, I love talking to my brothers Kyle and Danny, and uh, I hope you enjoy this one. Danny Roddy, Kyle yeah. Munis. <laughs> yeah. Backstreet Boys are back in town. Back streets, back. All right. Um, yeah. Welcome back in, guys. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Um, so yeah. I wanted to talk to you guys. I brought you guys on to talk about this thing called sugar. Okay. And it's because, you know, I went, I, I, I became aware of these two little, these two podcasts that were um, by Peter Atia. Okay. Um, and just to like, Give a little background. Back in my low-carb days, I think you guys followed the same guys. We followed guys like Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, and then I became aware of Peter Atia. And um, like all kind of typical functional doctor, current-day guys, kind of, you know, the organic ones or whatever, um, he recommends a lot doing a, a, like a low-carb diet. He recommends fasting a lot. So he's always constantly doing these, you know, literally two to three day fasts, just drinking Topo Chico and nothing else and just, you know, doing his thing. And so, um, you know, I try to keep up a little bit somewhat in that scene just to see, you know, what's happening currently. And so, yeah, and I saw that he posted this thing on his membership site, which I had to pay $20 for, by the way. Just want to let everybody know. Um, <laughs> Is that um, monthly or? Yeah, monthly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got you guys twenty dollars a month. Yeah, dude, I gotta unsubscribe from that before I forget because I'll fucking I'll probably end up doing it. Attention <laughs> yeah. for for low carb podcast. Twenty dollars a month. Yes. So he did this podcast called the Deep Dive on Sugar. I think it's podcast number one forty one or something like that. You can find it just with that name. And um, they talk about sugar and replacers for sugar and those sort of things. And um, and in the middle of the podcast, they're talking about a lot of things they're referring to are from Robert Lustig's pick, um, research. And Robert Lustig, if people don't know, he's like, a, you know, how would you guys define him? Like a, also sort of an anti-sugar advocate or what would YouTube you call star? him? YouTube star. Yeah, a doctor that's well, very anti-sugar. Yeah. Right. I know, just... um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I realized that, oh, I should listen to that podcast too. So long story short, uh, I listened to both podcasts, and I thought that you guys should have too, and uh, I kind of want to break those things down and talk about them. Um, and before that, though, you guys both have had experiences with, with Lustig because you both have been at the uh, Ancestral Health Symposiums, right? Which, by the way, if I would have went, the one that was in L.A., I would have probably met. Did you, go, did, you, LA, did you go to that one too, Danny? Yeah, 2011 was the only one I went to. Yeah, I would have met you guys, but, you know, oh well. <laughs> Anyways... Um, yeah. So what were your experience? And, and Danny, Danny even has a great picture of Mr. Lustig. So I just want to get just a, just a quick touch on like your experiences with the whole Lustig thing and just meeting him and listening to his conferences just to, you know, to let people know that you guys aren't just talking shit about somebody you never met or you don't know about. And because you guys have both have been clearly aware, aware of him for what, 10, 15 years, whatever. 
Yeah, I wouldn't say I like know him or anything. I think I shook his hand and there was like a pe- people he was like a minor celebrity there. And so people surrounded him and were asking him questions and it used to be on YouTube, but I think I asked him like how do fr- fructarians get by with their like massive fructose consumption uh-huh. and he said something like, "Oh, that's because they eat fiber with it." And then the two other things I remember is him falling asleep during one of the presentations. <laughs> which I got a photo of. And then he he had his he pulled out his laptop and he checked the view count of his sugar, the bitter truth, and then closed the laptop and put it back in the sleeve. I, I'm not making that up. <laughs> <laughs> so those are like the two. Oh, and one more thing. Uh, Rob Wolf and Matt Lalonde gave him a standing O after his presentation. That, and those are the only things I remember. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. And Kyle? I don't think I actually met him. Uh, I was there for his talk, and I think I think I was he was because um, he had just gotten famous at uh-huh. that point, and so I think he was kind of like Gary Taubes two point Yeah, for and sure. it was like you were cool if you were on the Lustig thing, and I don't know. It just had a lot of energy around it, and you could tell there was a buzz in the room when he was going to give his talk and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think it was like a little over that hump. I remember some people started to be really skeptical of him, especially with his, like uh, when they talked about it in the podcast, but his push for like uh, regulation. I remember that being like leaving a really bad taste in some people's mouth and being like, what is this dude doing? Oh, he wants to like tax sugar. Like, okay, that's going overboard. And so, but I would agree with you. I think he was at his height of his powers, but also like people were becoming skeptical of him, I think. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I get that crowd is kind of libertarian leaning. So, yeah, that would probably rub them the wrong way. Uh-huh. Do you guys remember what his talk was? Was it just like the typical kind of, you know, sugars back kind of thing? Or was there some specific he was talking about? Was it like a fructose talk or? Yeah, fr- fructose. Yeah, fructose sure. talk? Yeah. Okay. It's very similar, I think, to what he talked about with Peter. Right. Okay, so which podcast did you guys listen to first? Did you listen to, I mean, I think maybe we should talk about, what? I think we should talk about the uh, Lustig podcast, eh? Okay, either one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the other one was, no, the other one was good. It, I mean, it was fine. It was, it, was, it was like practical. It was about if you don't want to eat sugar, and they just talked about the, I don't really think anything they said in the, um, the one with whoever the guy, it seemed like he has, Peter Atia has some type of associate mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. maybe does research for him or something and prepares materials and yeah. he was and they talked together. Well, he said th- there was a, a a team that assembled that podcast and that's that's where the twenty dollars went. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He said it in the beginning. He said we're not prepared for this and that too. There was a team of people that worked on this and I and I was like kind of blown away because <laughs> I, because th- I thought it they were. Like, they were setting it up like it was a magnum opus of sugar research. And That's I what didn't I thought, really too. <laughs> and it kind of ended up not being that. But, hey, 20 bucks. I mean, at least it wasn't $100. <laughs> but, you know, I took one for the team, boys. So <laughs> when the podcast starts, uh, you know, when Peter has a talk with uh, Lustig, um, they sort of give this – Lustig sort of gives this like he asks him to break it down, you know, glucose versus fructose. Uh, tell us about these things. And – he mentions one thing where he says, um, you know, your body has this fail safe, right? If you're not getting enough glucose, which the low carbers just, you know, love and come all over on is called gluconeogenesis, right? Just, oh, they said it, gluconeogenesis. 
Um, but you know, it's something that happens, right? That when you're not consuming sugar, that your body still wants sugar, so it does this process. Okay. Then the next statement, um, and I quote, and he says, "But fructose is completely vestigial." Okay. Um, yes, he says that. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts on that? Gonna pass this one to Kyle. Pass it on oh. to Kyle. Well, first of all, so I did listen to the sugar, the other, the sugar substitute one first, and uh -huh. that one was like, it was a little bit shorter. It was a, under an hour, I think. And then I put this one on, and um, Peter Atia spent he spent a decent amount of time, like five minutes or so, introing this one, and he talked about being on the plane with Lustig and them like nerding out over data on a laptop. Yes. <laughs> And I actually got a little intimidated that there would be some high-level material um, <laughs> because I actually – so it's it's early 2021, and I'm, I'm not at the height of my powers in terms of, like, talking about metabolism and sugar and fatty acids. Like, I was just rereading something in my dissertation. Uh, I don't even know how – I think I was trying to find a paper that – I had published and I just like Googled my name and the dissertation popped up. So I just clicked on it and I didn't know it was fully available. And, uh, I was reading it. I was reading the intro and there's just all kinds of stuff I don't know anymore <laughs> that I knew. <laughs> that I knew. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I was worried about that. And then they come out of the gate with, at one point he said like really early on, right around the vestigial comment, he said, uh, Bacteria are plants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like bacteria? Right. He said they're, they're plants. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, what he's driving at, could you explain that to us? <laughs> well, okay, so first, so I wrote a lot of notes on this because like right, right out of the gate, I was like, oh, okay, like, whoo, nothing to worry about. <laughs> um, so yeah, he said fructose is a vestigial sugar. And mm -hmm. first of all, that was strange to say because he preceded that statement saying that Glucose is just used by every living thing, including Energy. bacteria. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if fructose is vestigial because it's only used in like non-animal or pre-animal life, but then he just said glucose is used in anyway. It's just a weird thing to say. It's like saying one thing is antiquated because it's really old, but mm -hmm. then saying something that's older is like a okay. <laughs> uh, and then he said. Um, it's it's not for animals. It's plant stored sugar, and then he said it's plant food. Yeah. Uh -huh. So this is like exactly wrong. <laughs> That's that was my impression. So just to reiterate, re reiterate one more, yeah, yeah, one more time. He says that glucose is a super important thing, which your body has a fail safe for, and it's very important, and everybody should probably, you know, he doesn't talk about diet. They don't, they really do end up not talking about too much diet, right? Like what people should eat. You know, it's more like just don't eat sugar and don't eat processed foods, yeah. which the processed foods could be, you know, it's like, okay, it's, it's good, I guess. Um, but then, um, yeah, and then he says that fructose is just this completely useless thing, even though it's found all over the place. And uh, yeah, you would take away that it was only good to kill you if you like took Pretty much. everything. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. how it sounded. I mean, really, that's what I was like, wow, I'm, Jesus Christ, this guy is serious. And like you, Kyle, I expected some next level shit because I was like, man, maybe I don't know something here. You know? <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so uh, keep going, Kyle. You were going to say something. Sorry, man. 
Yeah, so um, so plants don't like consume fructose. I mean, plants don't like plant food. There's a lot of different ways you could use the term plant food, but to specifically say fructose is plant food rather than glucose just doesn't make any sense. I mean, plants plant cells use both. You know, like they they um, they transport their sugars a lot of times with sucrose. Which is why, like, especially long plants, you can find like sugarcane and in trees and stuff, the sap, it's usually a lot of sucrose. Um, and then they break it down. And unlike humans, so the big difference, what he should have said if he was smarter, is animals have much more specialized tissues than other life forms, uh, especially bacteria, and but also plants. And so we like our liver preferentially takes up fructose at a pretty high rate and whereas plants it's more just like all of their cells are they're much less selective in their enzymes for using sugars um and and they ha they have different priorities like they they're worried about transporting and storage and stuff but i mean it's just retarded because so they store glucose like plant storage is glucose mm -hmm. for them to later consume and that's what starch is and everybody knows that that's not like a difficult thing and fruit right where the fructose is it's not store it's not plant food and it's not plant storage because plants can't ever get at that that's gone like when they make fruit that's the end of their life like that's a it's like a human reproductive cells you know like you don't consume those for nutrition mm -hmm. that's like the end of the life cycle and um they specifically put fructose in it to get animals to eat it to mm -hmm. spread the seeds, right? Like it's just basic, you know, the relationship between plants and animals. Mm -hmm. And so they're literally making it to be animal food on purpose. Like they specifically make something that will attract animals, thus making it animal food. And so it's, it, it's exactly wrong. Everything <laughs> that he said. Yeah. I don't know. Do you, could you even understand why he would say that? I don't, I didn't really understand what the point was. I don't think it was essential. I mean, it's, it sounds wrong, you know, but I don't think it was essential to his argument, or was it? Yeah. I think it was like it was just. Well, like no, he's just back. setting it up. Like it just, to me, it's a it's a tell that everything he's going to say, which I think ended up being confirmed, is through this lens, uh -huh. you know, that he sets up this lens because, yes, what ends up happening, like my, I'll just say like the overall take, and then we can go section by section, but. He takes a lot of things that are sort of true or he takes a lot of information. And if you just have one presupposition that fructose is bad, then you can come to all the conclusions he comes to. But you, if you don't analyze that and you say things like, well, fructose is just bad. Like he basically says it's just bad. It just is. <laughs> right. I don't want to like I shouldn't have to explain that to you. It's not animal food. Yeah. It's like ancient evil vestigial like. It's yeah. like if your appendix was like trying to kill you. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I mean, if a person clearly has no clue what's going on, they would just think, okay, so I shouldn't eat fruit then because it has fructose in there, right? That's where we get he, that word from. To be fair, he does give a big up to fructose, uh, better uh, repleting glycogen, but then he immediately <laughs> shits on it like yeah. a yeah. second so, later. So we'll talk time. about that later. So another thing he says, then going on, he talks about the, the Maillard reaction, right? The Browning reaction, which is, you mm. know, like <laughs> Kyle likes that one, <laughs> which, you know, I'm going to give his take what he said, right? He says that, you know, th that's what's going on. 
uh, glucose is responsible for this reaction, right? It's part of the, this uh, whole system of over time, we're basically cooking and browning our tissues, and that's you know what's leading to death. And you can do it in a in an oven at 350, or you could do it um, at 98.6 degrees. Uh, which, by the way, nobody is anymore. But anyway, 98.6 degrees uh, over 70 years, and you know, there you go. There's your average lifespan. So, you know, and then and then he says that fructose causes that that to happen at a uh, at a rate seven times faster. Mm-hmm. I have no idea yeah. where he got that from. Is Kyle? No, is this the same that's thing? True. Advanced glycation end products. The Maillard reaction. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's a kind of glycation, and it's of like I think it's of specific residues. Okay. But so- yeah, so that's true. I mean, it's true that fructose is more reactive than glucose. That's basically why glucose is the preferred uh, circulating sugar. Mm-hmm. And is that in a test tube or is that in a person? Well, it's in a it's 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 everywhere. But in a person, you also need other stuff. Like you need um, conditions like with catalysts like metal catalysts and uh, maybe some extra oxygen and stuff like that floating around. But the, but the problem with that is there's not a lot of fructose in circulation ever, mm-hmm. even if you consume it. Um, and why is that? And also, well, first of all, bananas don't, <laughs> bananas don't brown because of that reaction. They don't do that. Yeah. That's like, again, he's just doing the same thing where he's like, Oh, bacteria are plants. And uh, like, I actually, um, Ever. This this is like driving me crazy. Cause why does cause why does he have to add that? Why does he have to add that little? It's like a color commentary, you know, like in a sports cast. Like he's doing this color commentary, but it's just he's just lying because the bacteria. Like, so bananas ripen because of it, an enzyme, and also they let out ethylene, and mm-hmm. it ripens. There's because there's pigments. There's yellow pigments. That first they're green and they become yellow and then they become brown. And most of them are in the skin and some of them are in the flesh. It's not the sugar, like the sugars are not breaking down and they're not attaching to proteins because that reaction is sugars attaching to proteins. There's hardly no proteins in the banana. That's not what's making it brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and specifically, actually, at Rutgers, uh, the nutrition department that I was in, there was also a food science department and they were kind of friends. And sometimes they acted like they were the same department. And uh, but it's totally different. It, it's like. Um, science for how to make food last longer on the shelf or what it's you know it's mostly like the processed food industry research division uh-huh. uh and somebody i knew though they worked in a lab that looked at bananas and their lab would just be full of like on the floor like bags of plastic bags of rotting bananas and they would do things to them to try to make them just take longer to do that and one of the things that has been looked at to and this is why it's so it's amazing how perfectly wrong he is one of the things they've looked at is Mallard reaction end products to inhibit the, um, what's the enzyme? It's like polyphenol, some, whatever the enzyme is that ripens the pigments in bananas and, and then makes them turn brown. Uh, that's inhibited by some of the uh, Mallard, the glycated amino acid products. Mm-hmm. So that like the the industry has actually looked at that to like slow down browning of bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there's just something really bizarre that he would pick these anecdotes to like color his uh, his commentary that are so incorrect consistently. Oh, man, so 
and just but just 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 to summarize like he's he's just saying hey a really bad thing happens in your body right right and then he but okay he's capturing people's imagination with something they're familiar with he's saying what's happening to bananas because everybody knows there's a lot of sugar in bananas fruit sugar Mm -hmm. okay so okay lots of fruit sugar and bananas what do bananas do they get brown and nasty what happens in your body when you have too much sugar? You get brown and nasty. It's just like the um, the Dr. Oz like pouring cholesterol and mm-hmm. it's all thick and stuff and acting like that's what happens in your arteries. And that's what makes arteries clog when you eat saturated fat and cholesterol because those things, when they get cold, they get like lumpy and thick, right, in an aqueous yeah, solution. So if, it, so if butter is hard, it's gonna, the same thing is going to happen in your, butt, in your arteries. Is gonna right, so hard. he's doing that. Right. He's doing that. But with fructose. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the same thing. Like I remember, it must have been three or four years ago. I I think I made uh, a meme on Facebook about like it was like the baton passing meme, and it was like bad science was the baton, <laughs> and it was uh, from cholesterol or saturated fat cause heart disease to sugar causes insulin resistance. Because mm-hmm. so, it's the same tactics. A lot of these I had never heard before. I must be like out of the anti-fructose loop, but the the Malyard thing, I had never heard that fructose is inherently increases oxidative stress. Uh, I heard the uric acid thing, which I'm sure we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was like a, a, a it, it would take, I think, a long time to dissect all of these because you would have had to look up all the papers he said. But um, yeah, it was sure. a lot of things I never heard. Yeah, was that, that was the other big one that I really wanted to bring up is the uric acid thing. Mm-hmm. So you know when when he says when you consume fructose your uric acid goes up and that's can it's gonna cause um, well you can cause like gout stuff like that is that the point of it? Well, can, can I actually add something in this? Yeah. I feel like this conversation has to be contextualized with Kyle's kind of point of your video mm-hmm. that we are kind of or it, they are like talking about this thing outside the scope of any narrative of what creates good health and bad health. Mm-hmm. Like who knows what. Lustig like thinks leads to good health, and, and that's why it's such like a weird conversation, at least for like uh, my listening. Sure, uh, it was kind of bizarre. Yeah, and also they talk about like stress and cortisol later in the thing, like increasing lipogenesis and how bad it is. Mm-hmm. But again, they don't connect it earlier, and then so yeah, yeah it's just like a hodgepodge of random buffet of ideas that don't really uh, connect to each other. Yeah, but because it's, let- it's not like they took studies of people that just ate fruit because they ate a lot of fructose and compare that to people that didn't eat any fructose right there's they haven't done that maybe they've done something very close to that or i don't know i doubt very close but something similar right people eating i don't know loaf not even kyle's shaking his head not even so so yeah so that's the point with all these kind of studies dweebs and that's why me myself i've been kind of over the years just pulling back more and more away from those sort of things because just like you said people focus on you know that one thing happens okay fructose causes this bad thing to happen okay so that means that if you eat fructose and you're a human and it's like it's going to cause all this bad stuff to happen but it's just not the case there's so many other things going on your lifestyle what else are you eating what else are you eating around it what else you're not eating right maybe you're eating a lot of poofa you're not eating a lot of poofa all kinds of stuff. So it's very hard to, it's, it's very difficult because on the other hand, you have that, you know, as a scientist or one of those kind of guys, you want to create this, right? You, you want to like give the answer, like we found it, but it's so hard to study that answer. It's so hard to come up with a question that, or an answer that answers that question. You know what I mean? No, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're just not doing it. And yeah, so I'm trying to develop like my the, my point here about Lustig, which is that he's set he's doing a, like this is not he's he jumps. Well, they don't jump around. They go point to point. It's it's fairly well organized. Um, it, it doesn't feel tangential. It feels, you know, processional or whatever. But uh, he starts off with these like wacky anecdotes and kind of factoids that are wrong about sort of like like basic biology you know like oh well as you know it's it's like if you started off talking about you know like cell water and and you sort of talking about like oh the oceans and you know what i mean you say a bunch of stuff it's like almost poetic it's like this little intro uh-huh. but you can't just make shit up um <laughs> and I, and you do that to sort of make a, a sort of an emotional connection to the audience but the other thing is the reason why he never actually says what he thinks is healthy because he knows that his market has already will fill that in. So it's the same thing with like on the news. This is basically how the news lies to people is, well, you've got like Hollywood and the news, right? So Hollywood like teaches people how to dream about the nature of the world. Like uh, this is what happens. You know, these are like, this is kind of how the world works or whatever. Uh And then if you report something on the news, like let's, let's take like the Russia uh, election thing from 2016. Uh Um, Even if, Everything they said that whatever Russian officials or whoever working on behalf of perhaps the Russian government, who knows, were done, it doesn't matter anyway, because every country of any standing does that to every other country, every one of their election cycles. And specifically for the United States of America to make a criticism about interfering in the elections of another country is I mean, it's it's like just levels of like insane hubris that shouldn't even be possible. Uh, And yet they are able to get approximately half of the news consuming voting public to believe in this as scripture because they simply just talk about it and don't talk about other things that would contextualize it. So likewise, if you wanted to not lie, like actually literally lie, but deceive somebody in the field of nutrition or something, and you already know there's this whole cottage industry that has this narrative. And then you just let people fill in that, of course, we know fructose is bad. And then you kind of tell them, oh, here's how we know it's bad. And you're not actually he actually never tells people to go on a low carb diet or anything like that. But it's so it's just like the um, the George Bush administration when they were like they would talk about 9-11 and then they would talk about Saddam Hussein. And there was some like. Research thing where (laughs) most Americans thought Saddam Hussein had done 9-11, but they never lied, right? They never lied about it. So it's the same thing. So he's like he knows that there's this that his audience he's preaching to the choir and they just want to be like made to like soothed with like, yeah, man, like bananas and fructose is just it's just totally vestigial. I don't even like you don't know. You haven't heard that like plant food, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would think he's a true believer, though. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I mean, I think he d- really does think fructose is harmful. But, but you think he's gen- genuinely lying or lying by om- omission? Oh no, um, I think there's a sort of a third option because I think a lot of the people that report the news also think they're reporting the truth and they believe it, mm-hmm. but they've kind of tricked themselves into that misleading ta- like they can't see that the tactics they're doing are misleading because they're they're so factionalized or it's a greater good type of situation yeah but even to the point where i i don't even think after a while they go through a moral they they just i don't know it's really hard to get into other people's psychology 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, obviously, if somebody's a certain level of intelligent, you'd expect that they'd have to see certain things. And the thing is, see, he's seeing people at the clinical level. And it's true that if you take somebody who's diabetic or something and make them stop drinking like five cans of Coke, they can probably drop some weight. And But that doesn't mean that the obesity epidemic is caused by fructose. Mm-hmm. So that's he set up this Mott and Bailey where he's bo- constantly bouncing back between extremely broad general statements like people should just eat real food and like a not that processed diet. And then the Bailey that he's actually putting forward but not as not it's not defensible is that fructose is causing every problem of like modern metabolic disease Mm -hmm. and then he Mm -hmm. just falls back to the castle and is like well you know i just think people should and 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 so it's this mix of uh a very reasonable almost like nonsense statement like every everybody actually thinks you should eat real food except like the like 10 guys that drink like soylent every day or something as all their meal replacement (laughs) well so yeah that was one thing that i also wanted to point out is like when they talk about eating less sugar when they say oh i have a kid that comes in he's super fat and i just tell him stop eating sugar you know what does that that really just means he's going to stop eating a lot of processed crap and what else is with that sugar like it's not like he's it's not like he's taking a bag of you know sucrose right and he's just eating straight out of the bag sugar he's eating donuts and pretzels and what kind of other shit that has a lot of bunch of additives so it's so hard to pinpoint if you're really thinking about it that it's just the sugar causing all this obesity and whatnot yeah yes i mean they kind of talk about that later in the conversation like it doesn't peter ask the question of like how do we really know like fructose is is causing the problem Hmm. Uh, yeah and he doesn't yeah he doesn't answer that it's driving (laughs) it drives me crazy (laughs) Okay, so there is like what causes uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, import, export of fatty acids, de novo lipogenesis, and and then they start talking about insulin resistance for a long time, uh, and then he, and then they talk about cortisol, insulin resistance, and getting the blood sugar. Oh, and this I mean, might, might be jumping ahead too far here, but he says getting the blood sugar down is half the battle, and insulin might be more <laughs> important. Uh, and then they talk about Kyle, something you know a lot about, like the the hepatic gluconeogenesis increasing the the glucose in the blood, and then that driving this like whole conversation was like really difficult to listen to. But again, I there were little parts of it that were talking about like the stress metabolism, mm-hmm. and 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 I, I just thought everything was out of context and weird. It was but, totally because, like you said, because they came in with the. We of course we know that fructose is bad. So yeah. and from that, let's talk about all this other crap. And it's like, hold on. About how fructose is bad. About how fructose because we already <laughs> figured it out and we know right. it's so, just a circular conversation. Well, I, I mm-hmm. diverted things, but what Kyle, what was your take on um fructose increasing uric acid? Like what what, what was your uh, uh well, you know, that's true. Um but most gout patients don't consume a lot of like most gout patients, the average gout patient uh, (laughs) sounds like outpatient Um, a gout patient clinic is, you know, an old person who has poor health in general, like just doesn't have a good lifestyle and doesn't have a particular diet or anything. And, you know, just eats junk food. And a lot of times they, are told to stop drinking alcohol, like uh, specifically wine. And there's, you know, like some fish proteins have 
more things that end up becoming uric acid and or just a lot of animal meat in general. So it, it's actually like the uric acid thing and and gout. Um, I I don't really think fructose has played a major role in that. It's they they just add it as something that's bad. Uh, but how much how much uric acid actually comes out of the fructose? Not not all that much. Um, it's just it's just something that happens also, and it happens also to a lot of foods. And he and, did say something funny though. He said that it uh, inhibits nitric oxide synthase. And I was just listening to it. and I was like, like oh no, not my heckin' nitrous arenos. <laughs> I yeah, I wrote that down. Uric acid bad because it inhibits endothelial nitric oxide uh, synthase. Um, and of course, yeah, yeah good. Well, and and they just assume like that's the only way to have um, vessel dilation is nitric oxide. So if you, and, and again, it's not like it inhibits it completely, and these vessels are just collapsing and constricting. So it it's just, you know, it, it is that a big? They that's the thing. Some of these things they talk about numbers, and then some of them they don't. And when they don't talk about numbers with people like this, you should kind of just throw it out because it's it's just another factoid it's like bananas are browning because of their amino acids getting the mallard reaction like it's it like Mm -hmm. i I don't know how much uric acid in the average person ends up coming from their dietary fructose and what level of nitric oxide synthase inhibition that uric acid then goes on to do but i (laughs) i mean I would bet quite a bit of money that it's like clinically insignificant in basically the entire population. Maybe if you have active gout, you -hmm. could look into um, limiting fructose in addition to the other foods that contribute to uric acid, as well as other things that could help clear it. And maybe if you have some type of weird uh, deficiency in nitric oxide, which very like that would be a rare problem because it's something that's supposed to be generally low then you could look into that but to, to talk about because he's they're going back and forth between like kids that are fat in his clinic and then these really boutique molecule problems that it's like these the fat kids in lustig's clinic are are not gout patients mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying those are two different like they're and it's not they're not related at all they don't have like anything similar about them mm-hmm Except fructose, I guess. Fructose is the bad guy. We figured it out. Yeah. Podcast over, guys. Talk to you later. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but you, they talk about insulin resistance a lot, okay? And I wanted to just, Kyle, could you just give us like a 101 on insulin resistance, maybe how it happens? What, uh, what, I, is, I what is insulin resistance? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, it's it's used to mean a lot of different things, but I guess the most, like, objective definition would just be when you have a certain level of uh, less blood glucose disposal from the same amount of insulin present in the blood. So like you can expect a range, a normal range, even if you were to intravenously just give people exogenous insulin and then you were to give them exogenous glucose, that that's, that's the best test for insulin resistance is the hyperinsulinemic euglycemic clamp where you've got two, you're hooked up to two things and you're getting insulin and glucose at the same time. Mm-hmm. And they can tell how sensitive you are to the insulin by how much insulin they have to, or no, I'm sorry, how much glucose they have to titrate up. Or how much insulin goes up. Well, no, it, so the insulin they keep the same because they're giving you insulin. So they're giving you a graded dose of insulin 
-hmm. and then they're targeting a blood glucose. And if you're super sensitive, then their amount of insulin they give you will just drop your blood glucose and they'll have to give you a lot of glucose. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're not sensitive to insulin at all, they won't have to give you any, you know, they'll have to give you very little glucose because the insulin is not causing the glucose in your blood to go down. So that's mm -hmm. the most basic definition is the, the, the glucose, the effect of blood glucose from insulin. Mm -hmm. And in diabetics, what happens in diabetics? They have insulin resistance. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I mean, is there a specific stuff. definition where it's like this amount, this amount, insulin, this amount, glucose? Mm -hmm. No, although I think uh, doctors can give a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes from a fasting blood glucose from two or three visits that's over, is it 110 or do you remember Danny? Mm. Yeah, there's some, there's, there's a fasting glucose because the hyperinsulinemic euglycemic clamp is, um, is a more, it's a little bit more expensive and it's a, it's a nice, there's a few different ways they do it. Right? They'll also do a glucose tolerance test where they give you a hundred grams of glucose in a beverage and then they'll take your blood glucose once every probably 15 minutes or so. Mm -hmm. for a couple hours to chart how fast, you know, how much your blood glucose goes up and then how fast it comes back down. Um, so there's different ways to diagnose it, but I, I don't know exactly the cutoffs, but it's usually, there's usually not a, pe a lot of people in between. Usually people are sort of in the normal range or they're like quite impaired. At Very glucose high. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and then uh, glucose versus fructose when we're talking about insulin in that whole system. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> I got tired. <laughs> well, isn't it more useful to um, bypass that stuff? Okay, so if we're talking about insulin resistance, you have to invoke kind of the Randall cycle and the competition between fatty acids and glucose. And then fructose is useful because it bypasses a pivotal point in glycolysis that is blocked by free fatty acids, as mm -hmm. well as activi activates the uh, critical... Um, essential pyruvate dehydro dehydrogenase enzyme that is impaired in non-alcoholic -alco fatty liver disease, by the way. And so then, and they didn't really get into that. So, um, that's my limited understanding, but, uh, and also yeah, the increased thermogenesis and increased carbon dioxide, of course, they didn't talk about at all. And thermogenesis is impaired in obesity and aging and stress. And, um, but yeah, just being easily more easily metabolized in a stress state and hence useful. Yeah, and so fructose gets taken up by the liver more often. That's another thing they brought up. But he said it's good in the sense of that if you're an athlete, well, he doesn't think it's good because athletes and, and sports drinks and stuff think it's a good thing to have fructose, right? Because you get it uh, taken up by the liver much faster than, than glucose. Um, he doesn't think that's important because he says over time, if you just eat the rest of the day and you eat food, it'll get um, replenished. Um, this was Rob Wolfschick too. It's like you have to like earn your carbs. To, to like you have to exercise. It's a to, lot of guys' shtick, yeah. Yeah, and and again, it's it's again, it's totally. I don't know if we're con contextualizing this in stress, but it's outside of that context of uh, what I typically think about health problems, and so that's why it's kind of a useless uh, footnote. Mm -hmm. Well, so why why does he think what's his point with fructose and alcoholic fatty liver? Not non-alcoholic NAFL, as they say. What what's his point? What's he driving at there? Okay, so one of the main statements he said was that de novo lipogenesis used to be thought of as a non-contributor to the fat in the liver, 
And he made a big point about, no, it's actually a huge component of it. And so I haven't sifted through all that literature, so I passed that one to Kyle. Yeah, this is another funny numbers um, I, thing that I, th these, this always makes me laugh. Uh, this is a little bit later in the talk in the podcast. Um, but he was saying, oh, you know, people used to think that de novo lipogenesis from sugars, you know, fructose and glucose as well in the liver is, you know, it only contributes to maybe 3% of the fatty acids that the liver ends up uh, either storing or exporting to other tissues. Uh, but that that's for like healthy, normal people and for people that are um, can either consume a lot of fructose or have some type of metabolic disease or are developing it. It can be as much as 25 percent. And I always think it's hilarious when people try to say, yeah, this is the main thing. This is the main thing. It's 25 percent. Mm -hmm. It's just like, OK, so if that's major, like, oh, it's, it's just a huge, huge 25%. It's like, what's the word you use for 75%? Because <laughs> like, 75 is three times 25. So like, is there a word that's three times bigger than like major, main, huge, like bigly? Rich piano. <laughs> like, can we get Trump in here and like say that it's like huge. a really big, yeah. Um. So, yeah, because I made this point that uh, so so even like so the, let's let's say the range is three percent to twenty five percent. So whether it's um, fatty acids that end up in adipocytes and eventually form obesity or that stay in the liver and cause fatty liver, it's. Um, at at the absolute least, 75 percent of that is from dietary fat. At the at the least. <laughs> Yet he then goes on to say, so by process of elimination, <laughs> it's fructose causing this problem. Now, something that's contributing 25 percent could cause a problem because if it's like compounding like 25, you know, and it, it, it says over time, it gets a progressive condition. You get a little bit of fatty liver the next year. You have a little bit more. And also the, the fat in the liver starts to mess with the liver's ability to not store more fat so it becomes like a a vicious cycle type thing uh that's true but again you gotta talk about that 75 percent. you can't just leave people hanging like if even if it was 75 percent, you probably still have to talk about the 25 percent because that is sort of a big minority but that's what you would use you would say it's a significant minority uh but if it's if if it's the other way around and the thing you're saying is causing all these problems is the is the 25%, then the level of insincerity to not like even give lip service to perhaps the thing that's contributing 75%, again, at the least, right? Like in the worst condition of fructose and, and other you know, glucose, but I guess mostly fructose conversion to fatty acids, in the worst case, it's 25%. Uh, this just seems kind of insane and I see this all the time like and that's motivated reasoning There's no other reason because he doesn't explain why there's certain times when a small effect like say you have a like Like uh, like the Bitcoin market or something right and the people that are driving the price might be like 10% of the buyers and sellers because everybody else is just you know what I'm saying like the the action happens on the margins mm -hmm. and a lot of people can explain how that's happening like well if 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 there's this significant minority that's going to sell at this price no matter what and then and then that'll knock it down and then there's the next 
segment that will sell at that and it becomes this thing you know so it's like at the margins these things are happening but he doesn't develop that point he just says well i mean look fructose can make 25 percent of the fatty acids in your liver so it's causing fatty liver case closed if uh-huh. he's pro-saturated fat, that shouldn't even really matter because won't the fructose be uh, uh, creating saturated <laughs> fat? <laughs> and so that's yes. thing that doesn't make that much sense. I don't even know. I, haven't, I'm, I don't know his stance at all on all that kind of stuff. Do you guys? I mean, he's interviewed by so many paleo people. I, again, I don't know. I downloaded his book, but I haven't even flipped through it. Yeah, but like I'm, you said, there, he, there, uh-huh. he's saturated fat. Yeah, I mean, they're all preaching to the choir, like you said. It's all kind of Rob Wolf and Dave Asprey kind of guys, you know. No, he doesn't say that because actually my last note was um, dietary fat. Oh, because one of the things he says is dietary fat went down, you know, intake or whatever, which that's debatable. Um, I think it's been fairly steady in America, like dietary fat intake. I, I think I think it's probably gone up a little bit, but certainly saturated fat intake has not gone up. Mm-hmm. Like that that's for sure. And it's probably gone down at least a little bit. Yeah. And PUFA intake has exploded. Yeah, I was gonna say for some reason I think <laughs> I I just assumed that he was talking about saturated fat, but not the other. You know what I'm saying? I just thought he's he's he just talking about fat. Inject. Because if you look mm-hmm. at well, a lot of specify, charts. So, yeah. Yeah, if you just look at fat intake, um, it's fairly steady throughout the twenty first or the twentieth century. Um I, I think it a few data sets show that it's gone up a little bit, but some data sets show that total in food intake has just gone up a little bit. Uh-huh. So like, then it's like, okay, is it absolute numbers or percentages? It, it It's kind of fair to say that fat, it certainly hasn't changed that much, but it's the, you know, it's the composition of what the types of fats are. And he never mentions PUFA. And, um, so I haven't been following him for a while, like a, a seriously long while. Like I, basically stopped following him in like 2012 a year after i was following him uh i was actually when you first told me about this i was like he's still around like, I thought, <laughs> I thought he got, like, big time my man and now he's getting into being a lawyer he's getting his uh fucking lawyering degree so yeah a good news for him. Um, well, well is the idea that the fructose is promoting oxidative stress and the hepatocytes and then and fat gain and that's what's the whole the shebang because isn't PUFA or endotoxin much more likely to like really harm the liver and create the or, and or activate the stress systems and mobilize the free fatty acids and uh, produce fatty acids locally? Doesn't that make like infinite more sense than this extravagant argument surrounding fructose? Yeah. Well, so he doesn't mention PUFA, and of course he doesn't mention endotoxin. That is not something I would have expected, but. I, cause a lot of these people and the, yeah, the, I was saying the last point I made, which kind of sums up what I think about this is, is Lustig's brand the only one that cannot integrate PUFA, like the PUFA <laughs> question, because everybody else has sort of pivoted, you know, cause now it's like sexy to say, maybe it's the seed oils, you know, maybe like maybe the whole thing with like the hammer and the nail of like, did, like who, who was sharing that? Uh, poly salads. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like. What was well, the nail? Be, well, to be fair, this was in 2018, and so that was Insulin wasn't resistance, really, I'm pretty sure. Sorry, yet. sorry, Danny. Uh-huh. Oh, it's okay. Say it again, brother. Like, uh, if if this was in 2018, when did Pauly Salad switch? That was like 2000... It was within uh, the last year, guys, a little, year and a half very, or so. It was very yeah. recently. I mean, yeah. very recently. Yeah. Well, that, uh, even, even, like, not just him, though, but uh, other people, like, because when I started doing my... 
um, thesis project in graduate school. Uh, and, and then I went to the AHS in 2013 and gave a talk about it. That was when it was like really cutting edge to talk about, um, PUFA and the, the hypothalamic inflammation thing. It was mostly around omega six versus omega three. Mm-hmm. People were still saying omega three is really good and omega six is bad. Um, that was eight years ago. So a lot of people have been, I mean, there's mainstream publications that are talking about maybe the problem, all the health problems are from vegetable oil, like stuff in like New York times tier journalism, you know, and like from 2016, 2017, like this is so, and Lustig, I mean, you know, whatever else you want to say about the guy, like he certainly seems very capable of keeping up with that. And like, if he saw that, like he, he should be capable of like reading about it and looking into the research and forming an opinion. So, you know, his silence is deafening on the, uh, on the PUFA question. And it seems like it's just simply incompatible with his brand because yeah. he's saying the problem. And he said this a handful of times throughout is, uh, fructose presence, you know, a lot of fructose and then a lack of fiber. That's like his thing mm-hmm. is the problem in the, in our diet, the modern American diet or whatever. Yeah, that was one big thing that I didn't enjoy. It's just like, yeah, he didn't. They didn't say anything like you should probably eat this. He said eat, eat real food, but whatever the fuck that means. I mean, what does that mean? You know? Yeah, didn't he show his hand when he talked about gluconeogenesis and insulin is the most important thing, and and that gets you entwined with the whole stress system. And they, of course, they. I mean, they didn't go and they go, went into it a little bit talking about cortisol and ep, uh, ep, uh, catecholamines, but. Um, Again, that I think would be a more fruitful conversation in getting into that than, again, their starting point and and where they went with it. But, I mean, it's just a critique of a conversation. Go ahead. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I so I I just I I just have to confess I have like chronological notes and we skipped <laughs> to. Let's go back to him. The end of my notes, which is fine. So we did the um, de novo lipogenesis and then the insulin. And that's actually when I stopped listening. Like I said, I got to approximately 20 minutes left. Yeah, the last 20 minutes, they just talk about real food and they talk about uh, him becoming a lawyer because he wants to, you know, cut cut that shit out, you know, to be able to, like you said, tax the sugar and do whatnot, create loss because that's where, you know, that's where it's well, all stemming yeah. from. Well, maybe we can get into the dopamine idea, but uh, Peter's story about his daughter eating ice cream and them both <laughs> think that it's a sign of being addicted to it. Yeah, so just to let people know, like, yeah, there's a part where, where he talks about having, I think he said his six-month-year-old daughter, right, that she was six months old and she's had nothing but breast milk for a while. And then they took her to the, whatever, carnival or some spot where they have, you know, soft-serve ice cream. And he's, his assumption would be that if they give her some ice cream, maybe the you know, the the cold would throw her off or maybe she would just not understand what it is. But then immediately when she, you know, had some ice cream, she, her, her eyes, her eyes got big and she got all happy. And that was, you know, so <laughs> that means it's cocaine, you know, and they're just giving his babies yeah. pure cocaine. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I had a note on that. Uh, yeah, baby's face lights up, means it's bad, uh, comparison <laughs> to cocaine. This, this has become really tired. I See, this is where I think Lustig's age is showing because, like, he's not jumping on the PUFA thing, and he's not um, 
the meme of sugar is it's like structurally similar to cocaine and it lights up the same parts of the brain that's a yeah. that's that's a very old one that was actually in a comedy movie with uh kramer from seinfeld did you guys ever see that he's that's like in a school. court and Seinfeld's i don't know they... sorry i have to say it. i just want this is seinfeld <laughs> this is my impression of seinfeld hey that's not blue that's Light blue. It's not funny. I'm sorry. And George comes in. <laughs> Jerry, is this blue or light blue? <laughs> Little fucking bass player. It's just and then Kramer's not... like zooms in. It's like, oh, that's green. I don't understand if it's because I didn't grow up here or if I'm not. I don't know. But I, it's so not funny. I'm so sorry. I, I'm actually disturbed that I grew up watching that show because <laughs> I, I think it – I don't know what role it filled, but it definitely had like sociopathic, uh, <laughs> like uh, a vibe to it. And but I loved it, like growing up. You know, it was like, my absolute favorite. A joke. lot of my so friends did too, man. That and Simpsons, you know, and and so I'm wondering, and those are of course like inter Simpsons, especially intertwined with weird occult things and things. So I'm like disturbed that those were like my main sources of entertainment it's growing all right, up man. i can show you guys some russian tv shows you guys will freak the fuck out <laughs> you'll be like what is this you know what i mean it's culturally but i don't know I, honestly i just always i was like do you guys find this funny like seriously that and friends i'm sorry it's just i can't do it friends did not age well uh, yeah friends dude, was it's awful fun. just stop it's not fun i was when i was a little boy i was quite taken by the romance between ross and rachel mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh when i became a man i put away childish things and <laughs> i still think seinfeld's funny though i think it's an english first language god all right what were we talking about <laughs> I was saying there was a movie, I think it was in the 90s, where the actor, was it Michael Richards, uh -huh. who played Kramer? Uh, it's kind of like a buddy comedy or something. He ends up in court. It's like a road trip, and they're in some town, and he gets busted for something, and he gets a lawyer to get him out of it, and they try to use, you know, like the classic like insanity defense? They use a defense that he's a sugar addict, and it's literally Kramer, right? Michael Richards in court pretending to like eat a bag of sugar uh -huh. and then his lawyer is like talking about how it's the same as cocaine um you guys should watch this would this would actually be really interesting to like look at the messaging from that uh we'll check it out but it's it's just like an old it's like an old um like in the 90s when it was like empty calories that was the phrase for candy and and soda and it's like if you're still saying that then that's that says that you're not really like with it you're not hip Mm -hmm. And so Lustig's not really hip. I think he was just, he got <laughs> like popular enough that he kind of just ride his own thing. But mm -hmm. I think he's really, he's just like, it's like a plane and like the engine's turned off, but he's gliding. <laughs> and because uh, there's, there's no there there. He's just saying the same thing as he was saying 10 years ago. And a lot of things have happened that are interesting. Um, and he's just not about any of that. But, but what I wanted to say, and this actually ties back to the other one with the sugar substitutes podcast, um, the artificial sweeteners, is uh, this Peter Atia guy and and the people he talks to, he kind of brings this um, like teetotaler, uh, like anti, like if something's pleasurable or whatever, then it's like inherently bad. Yep. Like he brings this vibe and it's very pretty obvious right that he he's like oh well you know 
like the baby really liked the ice cream and mm-hmm. kids really like and uh and I remember Lustig also said he was like, "Oh, do you know how many times it takes to uh, introduce a savory food and get a, a child to accept it?" And it's like thirteen times or something is the mean. And then and then sugar is uh, once, just once. Yeah, it's like so you're abusing children. Yes. Like you're. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, even like, if they, I don't like it. Like, even if they have, they are starting from an evolutionary paradigm. Why if? If we evolved to gravitate to sweet things, why would it inherently be bad to like – it doesn't make any sense on the face of it. They're they're just assuming that sugar was not plentiful like in our evolution or that it was scarce. And then they're riding that out from that point, you know? Like it, it – I don't, I don't even yeah. – it makes – yeah, you're right. Lustig's view seems like an old relic, and so does Peter's. You know, Polly Salads, he at least is adapting hip, to baby. the times and and uh, monetizing his personality and things. But these, yeah, this this was like taking a time machine and listening to health content, <laughs> which it is a few years old. Uh, was this this first one? Uh, was that 2000 this year, 2020? The Lustig podcast. No, the first one they're talking about sugar. Is Did like you, the, that was just oh, recently, very recently. Yeah. Oh yeah. He yeah. He, he reminds me of like a self serious uh, Sam Harris type. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of it. Like, oh, uh, fuck. I'm so glad you brought time. that guy up. Yeah. God, I feel the same way as you do, Danny. God damn it. I, he works. There's actually a, there's a podcaster called uh, Brett Vinat. He does the School Sucks podcast, and he sounds exactly like Peter Atia. Like the voice <laughs> and the cadence and everything, they just sound the same. Uh huh. And just to add to that. Peter Atia thing. Um, yeah, you were talking about that he's like, you know, if something is tastes good, it's, in, you know, inherently bad. And it's true. And he talks about that. Is, is this, is this, am I talking about the same thing, by the way, guys, when he talks about the mangoes? Did he talk about mangoes yeah, with you? Yeah. yeah, where it's like, you know, he talks about, you know, the, uh, this dried mangoes that I can just eat the whole bag. And he says it, like yeah, yeah. you said, like he just sucked a dick and like his wife was watching <laughs> it, right? He was like, I just ate the whole bag. And oh my God, like I couldn't do, I, why would I do that? And he has another quote towards the end saying sucrose of course tastes amazing mm-hmm. and then two his co-host says he can't get enough juicy fruit gum <laughs> like yeah. he's chewing it all the time yeah. and so I, I i wish we had started with this one because i thought this one was uh, more funny and and i thought they were giving away their hand like they were resisting the taste of sweet with all their might <laughs> <laughs> letting right. the audience know like how awesome like sugar or something that tasted sweet was and i thought that was totally bizarre but yeah mm-hmm. you know I, I i gotta give it like i just have a little bit like of a because okay when, I, when my low carb days you know you guys were there too i mean you guys were i don't know i think you guys were maybe a lot more committed to it for, for a longer amount of time than me um i was just kind of eat low carb and then i would fucking binge on the weekends like a motherfucker right so that's what i'm trying to point at like i i i kind of have this almost sympathy for him because i'm like ah, i think that's like you like you guys said that He's just craving all that stuff. And I think over time, those cravings get bigger and you keep going. But what I did notice is when I started switching over to a, you know, a higher carbohydrate diet, is those cravings kind of went away. And like, you know, whereas I would eat a whole pint, you know, of ice cream, now I just eat a half a pint and I'd feel fine. Like I wouldn't want more. Whereas before I eat a half a pint, you know, a whole pint and then some cookies and then some of this and then some of that and some Coke and then just keep going, you know, that whole kind of old school bodybuilding, you know, 70s style diet where you're eating for five days, you're just eating low carbohydrate, you're just restraining, restraining, restraining. And then on, you know, Saturday or Sunday, you're just 
ah, all over the place. So, yeah. I, so I kind of understand what he's why he's doing that. I think. I can't speak for Kyle, but I know that I was never really tempted by carbohydrate the two years I was doing meat and water. Probably because one, I had so thoroughly convinced myself it was the absolute worst thing you could eat, and then uh -huh. two, I think my metabolic rate was so ridiculously low, uh -huh. like I'm sure I didn't need much to get by. And but that's my take on it. Now it seems unimaginable. Uh -huh. um, and to speak on what you said, and Kyle can probably clarify this, but I think the liver's glycogen content can make a person, uh, if it's full, you don't want sweet things like. Your taste for sweet maybe being some kind of sensor or something for your liver's glycogen supply. Uh, but, yeah, Kyle, what was, what was your experience? Were you, were you holding back the time you were on zero carb or pro raw primal, rather? Uh, you know, at that point, pretty much my whole life, I never really had all that much of a sweet tooth. Mm, um, you're a different so, kind of fella. Yeah, huh. it wasn't really that big of a deal for me. Like, the food's... You know that I would have wanted would be you know savory maybe like um, you're a chips kind of guy huh Potato yeah chips. chips yeah yeah chips yeah. and guac or some shit or some pico de gallo <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> something like that uh. or it's just like going out to a restaurant like you know it's like Thai food or Indian food or something it's eating rice and like whatever carb comes with like the, the food you know mm, so you're a <laughs> that would that would be like my first mm -hmm. choice although I like ice cream though I I generally like um, and also the candies with fat like uh, Peanut butter cups and stuff like that. I've always liked that more than just pure sugar candy. Mm -hmm. So, different. so to me, the the like because I started, I proceeded low carb with raw vegan, and so I went through a period where I did a mostly fruitarian. And I, like, if somebody told me I had a medical condition where I could never eat fruit again, I'd be like, darn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you 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 don't have oh, okay okay. Chiromoya, uh, have you ever had one? <laughs> oh, dude, get I, out of here. Wait, uh, I forget. I I feel like I tried every weird fruit when I was a fruitarian, but I might have forgotten what it's like. That's a delicious they, one. I think Mark Twain said it's like the what do you say? It's like the <laughs> yeah, best I've heard fruit. that right. That it's like I the totally, most tasting fruit in the world I or something totally like that. Totally agree. They're like it's like a complex but weird. It's awesome. got to be a good one, though. Yeah, it looks like yeah, a yeah. fucking turtle's asshole kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's all, like, lumped up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like seriously. kind of, of how it's composed. It's but yeah. so good. Sometimes sometimes they're not good, though, because, you know, if you have small ones, if they're, I don't know. So I've had some bad ones, though. But if it's a good one, it's a delicious one. Uh, oh, what, uh, we did jump over to the uh, sugar substitute thing. The one other thing I wanted to say about that podcast um, is... I don't I've never been um, I've never found myself thinking about that kind of stuff because to me, well, I don't like the taste of artificial sweeteners and I don't require the taste of sweet as like like I'm not going to kill myself. I'm not like baking cookies, you know, and it's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And uh, and also I don't think sugar is bad. So like there's just a bazillion reasons why that's not a problem for me. But even more than that, I feel like on an aesthetic level, there's something really low aesthetics about uh oh you know i'm gonna make something and uh let me like go on a website and look at the best artificial sweetener to use in this baking product like it's like okay just don't make the yeah. like i'm with you. there are there are ways to substitute things like there's probably a hip restaurant you know in manhattan that's like oh we're like a korean 
bow joint, but like we use this kind of meat instead, and it's like it always fusion. tastes like shit, dude. It always tastes like a like a worse version <laughs> of that shit. Seriously. Well, <laughs> well I'm just saying, like, it, what's the worst is you know vegetarian fake meat, and because uh, it's just like okay, what are we doing? Like, just don't eat meat. If you don't want to eat meat, if it's so bad for you, don't fucking eat meat. Yeah, that's how I feel I like, about it. I like how Kyle thinks it's like bad optics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is bad optics it's because you're you're like you're you're like fetishizing this object kind of like what you were saying about you know when you're restricting yourself from any sugar and then you're just you, you if you eat any of it you might binge on it something like that mm-hmm. um, it becomes this weird just really weird thing and I just think it's kind of gross like there's so many foods you can make and so many things you can eat uh, and it's people want to like not change their lifestyle actually it's like oh i know how to solve all my problems like i'll just stop putting sugar in these things i make and put like uh, monk fruit sugar or the the um isomer not isomer uh what's the word sweet and low the the fructose uh enantiomer the the different handed fructose molecule Hmm. it doesn't What's that one? You mentioned it towards the end. It's like the opposite of fructose or something, right? Allulose? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Allulose, I think it's called. It's it's an enantiomer, and it doesn't metabolize. He says during the beginning of the conversation, the way uh, fructose is the structure makes all the difference in the world, and then they never get to it. Like I don't, I don't recall them ever actually uh, like uh, expanding on that point. Did am I wrong? Did you guys hear that? I think no, you're that's right just, about it. What is this? What is the difference? Yeah, I actually have some early notes on this. Um, <laughs> let's go back to the notes. So let's see. Uh, fructose mostly. Con- oh, by the way, fructose is mostly converted to glucose in the small intestine, like at at a bare minimum fifty percent and up to ninety percent. Now, if you force feed, because a lot of so this is another bait and switch or Mott and Bailey thing that the fructose people do is um, they'll take a lot of rodent studies that use huge gavage um, doses of fructose to overwhelm the absorption, uh, cause gastrointestinal symptoms, cause a, a bacterial cha- you know, change in their gut microbiome from all of that sugar, and, and overwhelm the liver. So that would be the equivalent. And I, I guess you could do it. I mean, I guess there's people that drink like, you know, 10 cans of Coca-Cola or something. And um, on top of regular food, I, I guess you could, you know, induce these symptoms. But a, a lot of the thing, you know, a lot of these things are not like physiological. And yeah, normally you just it just makes glucose the same way as um, the glutamate and glutamine amino acids are generally used up and and either transaminated or metabolized by the small intestine before they get to the circulation. Uh, it does this, it does this with a few things like the small intestine kind of has first pass and uh-huh. then liver has first pass in the portal blood. So the, the, the gastric emptying goes into the portal blood and then the liver gets at it and then the liver take, cause that's the other thing is other tissues can take up fructose, just not as well as the liver. But the reason why the liver basically takes all of it up is cause it gets, first dibs at everything it takes up most of the glucose too if glucose is really high coming in mm. um the the liver enzymes that take up glucose are very concentration dependent so that when after you've absorbed your meal and everything it stops taking up glucose because uh-huh. it 
the other tissues need it. And then after a while it starts putting it out. So it can't be putting it out and taking it in, you know? Um, so if it was a different organ, hypothetically speaking, it would take it out. It would take up the fructose first. It's just, that's just the way it goes. Just because you're saying liver does that first, just because. Well, it would take up some of it. It would take up <clears throat> like, uh, I think, I think there was one, I was like searching around to look at, um, relative numbers and stuff and like, uh, KMs of enzymes and crap and the kidneys, if you inject fructose, uh, kidneys, um, other, other organs w will take it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's just that the liver basically takes it all up. Um, but even then, even then that's, that's just the bit that didn't get converted to glucose by the small intestine. So again, this is kind of a bait and switch where they talk about fructose as a problem and they'll say fructose, the molecule fructose can do this. Mm -hmm. And then they'll say a lot of fruct, like they'll talk about the effects of fructose intake. And most of that is from studies of an enormous, like force feeding intake on rodents to just totally like push the phenotype, like see how, bad you can get the reaction by just giving a, a super lot mm -hmm. uh and then they you know bait and switch to that's what's happening to you when you drink some soda when you eat some can like when you consume sugar in you know like normal amounts or whatever but it's not it's not the same thing like some of those same things are happening but some of these things are like dose dependent and you know like the fructose in the circulation. I mean, fructose does not spend a lot of time in circulation. So yeah, if you add a bunch of fructose in circulation, it may very well glycate a lot of proteins like hemoglobin and maybe some other transporter proteins. Maybe that would be bad, but, uh, that really doesn't happen. You know, there's um, no like weird diseases or whatever. I'm just saying like, it just doesn't happen. You're saying in normal people that are whatever healthy that that doesn't, you don't have a lot of fructose circulating around. Yeah, I think the most common people, uh, genetic problem people have with fructose is an absorption, total absorption inability, mm -hmm. and they'll just get like diarrhea because it'll all go to their large intestine and pull water with it and make them have like watery feces, mm -hmm. just like intolerance. Isn't one way to look at it that like, uh, again, there could be maybe issues with gigantic amounts of uh, fructose or glucose, but in the package of sucrose they support each other like the fructose supports the oxidation of glucose and they complement each other and uh yeah and and that's the way you would normally find it in food mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that makes sense and you were you know just brought up our latino friends um you were talking about uh, he also mentions that there's uh, a gene that latinos have right that for them fructose is like particularly like just devil it's just is gonna they're gonna grow horns on their head if they eat fructose they get super fat from it what's what's his reasoning there you know i forget uh <laughs> the gene that he was talking about but i mean it, it, that doesn't really surprise me it's just mm -hmm. it's just more of the same effect but i i mean the problem is those communities like i if you looked at their diet, I mean, there's probably a lot going on there, like with oils and all kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, fried tortillas it, and all kinds of shit like that, right? If, if you go to a grocery store here, they, they uh, Mexicans are super all about starches. And mm -hmm. so they'll smell, at least now, I don't know how it was 20 or 30 or 50 years ago, but they, they uh, will, there will be a line, like an Apple iPhone line for bread, you know, mm -hmm. every time 
to like a, a grocery store. And and then vegetable oils are literally everywhere. Like coconut oil is actually a total rarity. Like you won't find it anywhere. And if you do find it, it's extremely expensive. And so I think it's only here because of like gringos here. And so, yeah. Yeah. And it's a lot of a lot of stuff that's fried and all of it is fried and it's not it's not fried in butter right that's been yeah. your experience right danny yeah, yeah it's a lot of uh beans rice tortillas and all that stuff is cooked in usually vegetable oil usually canola i think right i mean but some of those shitty oils eh correct yeah then, uh what what did we not cover about we talked about the juicy fruit gum <laughs> sucrose <laughs> <is> amazing <laughs> I, I, whenever, whenever you guys want, I do have one more, uh, note. Um, cause this is something, this was actually my favorite part. Um, my favorite part of these things is when, about soccer. <laughs> no. Uh, when they have a throwaway line, like the thing, you know, the thing where he's like, Oh, cause like bacteria are plants or because, you know, uh, and it, it says a lot. So at one point Lustig says stress and sugar consumption in rodent maternal studies uh, induce epigenetic changes that predispose off- offspring to metabolic syndrome. So I know exactly what he's talking about because this is something that I participated in. And what he means is, so what he means by um, stress is, you know, the in, in rodents, right, in these rodent studies is more or less the physiological state you would get from, for example, like a low-carb or zero-carb diet. Mm-hmm. Um like the basket of hormones and, and, um, high lipolysis, you know, but, and, and all that kind of stuff. So, and, but what he means by sugar intake, high sugar intake is rodents that are fed high fat, probably high PUFA diets with added sucrose or fructose. It's, I think it's usually sucrose. Um, so I went back because I had in, on my laptop folder, I was sitting when I was making these notes, I had a bunch of files from research diets uh, the company that makes, I think, most of the rodent diets in the world. And they also, other companies basically copy their formulation. So um, I have all of their, because I had to report this for my studies and and I talked about it and everything. So the control diets, uh, and this is just, just, just it's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the diet itself. That doesn't taste that good. But this information, the control diets for lab mice uh, that, so control diets. So if you just go, all right, I'm a scientist. I want a bucket of make, keep the rodents, you know, mice, rats, normal. And then I want a bucket of some type of experimental thing like high fat. And I'm going to test this drug, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, 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 like, um, it's, it, it helps with obesity or something or, or, um, or maybe you put a drug in the diet or whatever, and you'd have a, so you have a control diet and you have the other one. So the control diet that everyone uses, like everyone, uh, that doesn't make mice fat, okay, doesn't give them uh, diabetic-like symptoms, metabolic syndrome-type signs and symptoms, and maintains their fertility. Because I personally bred mice in, you know, and and we had like just uh, colonies that we would just continually breed for different studies of different types of mice. Mm-hmm. And these are actually, and they're also C57 black from the Jackson lab mice that are predisposed to obesity and metabolic syndrome stuff. So why, so true wild mice would even be more not fat from this, but it's, uh, let's see, it's called D you can just look this up. If anybody can look this up research diets, D 
12450B, so 12450B is the control diet. It's 70% uh, kcals from carbs. <laughs> and 60, and by weight, that's 67.3%. And of that 70%, half is sucrose. Mm. That is to say that uh, 35% of the calories from the control diet that keeps mice lean and normal and consistently reproductive for use, like just uh, permanent colonies of mice you can produce for studies, mm -hmm. 35% of the calories are from not just carbs, like sugar. Sugar, sugar. Like table sugar. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so, w which also means it's 17.5% from fructose, right? Because, you know. 50 50 mm -hmm. is sugar. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and the actual uh, carb breakdown, so like I said, it's 70% carbs. 20% protein, which is uh, pretty much all casein, and I think they add carnitine, supplemental carnitine, and then 10% fat. And the fat is actually kind of bad. It's lard and soybean oil, but it's it's only 10% mm -hmm. of the calories. Uh, and of the carbs, it is uh, cornstarch is 315 grams are added. And so, and this is not percentage, but this is just how they report it. And so, 1,260 calories out of, and there's a total somewhere else, but just look at the relative. Uh, so it's 315 grams are added to like a, a bucket of the cornstarch, 35 grams of something called maltodextrin 10, which is like a maltose and, and glucose together in some kind of, I guess, proprietary combination. And then sucrose is 350 grams. So like the the lion's share of the carbohydrate component, which is by far the majority of the uh, so anyway, that's a high sugar diet. Right. That's it right there. That your high sugar diet right there, your high fructose diet, your low fat diet, that's high sugar, right? So if yes. sugar is making people fat or lab rodents, control diet, control diet should be causing all of these problems. Yet it is the diet with which you set against another diet that causes problems to make sure that like you're not fucking up, like there's not like poison in the room and all the mice are not just getting sick because the room is, is sick. You know, that's what the mm -hmm. control diets for. Um, so you see what I'm saying here? <laughs> yes. We've, done, milligrams we've of actually <laughs> like, I could, I could ask like, Oh, when are they going to do a high sugar diet, but low fat and really look to see if sugar is caught. And they've been doing it the whole time. It's the control diet. Yeah. Yeah. And just to ask you, and because I've heard you talk about it too, have they ever done actually a high sugar diet and no fat diet meaning at all whatsoever? Like, you know, two grams or I don't know, five grams, whatever the fuck. Done, Ultra uh, low. In my um, dissertation, I report a couple of very high fat, like 60% and more. Uh, and they, they use saturated fat versus polyunsaturated. Or wait, no. I... <laughs> I did a lot of uh, different reviews of things, but no, uh, this one was they had high fat, high sugar, mm -hmm. and then high fat, low sugar, mm -hmm. high sugar, low fat, and low fat, low sugar. And what was high uh, sugar? What was the percentage there to, to compare to low fat? Oh, that's a good question. So let's just assume that <clears throat> the protein was 20%. So we've got 80% to play with. So I guess I'm going to say maybe 50 and 30 so 50% fat, 30% sugar, or maybe, maybe I don't think it was 40, 40. Um, how did I look back? It was a Japanese group that did it and they did a couple studies. 
uh, with the same thing, and they consistently showed that the high sugar, high fat got fat, mm-hmm. but not really any more than the high fat, low sugar. The high sugar, low fat were the same as the low sugar, low fat, like the controlled diet. And again, low sugar, they call low sugar like this, um, you know, say 30% of the calories or 35% of the cat. Ca- that's considered low sugar. If that was the fat in a rodent diet, that would be a moderate to the, like my high fat diets were 45% fat. Mm-hmm. So that's not 50%. And mm-hmm. that's considered high fat. Now, again, mice are, you know, rodents are different. So naturally they have a lower fat intake than humans. So like a 45% fat diet might be, you know, a well over 50% of your calories from fat for a human to kind of compare. But still, uh, they they call low sugar. I mean, to these people, if you ask Lustig what low sugar is, he'd say no sugar. Right. You know, so just as a comparison, like low sugar could be, 25% a quarter of the calories for, for a low, you know, mm-hmm. in these studies. What, what were the 5% mice eating? <laughs> <laughs> they were eating whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. You snuck in a rich piano on us, man. That's pretty good. Um, do you have any more notes there, Kyle? Something specific? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I have tons of notes, but I, I think we should reflect on that for a second because I, I, I feel like we've all broken new ground here because no. <laughs> I've never actually thought about it this way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause yes. for the longest time I was challenging people like at my talks, I was like, like, here's my email address. You send me a study that uh, human animal, you know, some type of animal that is fed, um, sugar, uh, like a high sugar diet, but low fat and has these metabolic syndrome or obesity results. Just go ahead and do that because I have not been able to find that in the literature. And now again, it's, this is like four or five years ago that I was doing my dissertation, but I, you know, I looked pretty hard. I looked around and, um, there's a lot of people that report that they use a high sugar diet, but every time it's the same thing as when they said, they would report a high saturated fat diet and they were using lard, which mm-hmm. at best is like a third of each, you know, a yeah, third. And just, just to clarify that, right? Cause it's, uh, when they're using lard, they say that it's saturated fat, but it's actually, w- w- what's the percentage that it could be, uh, unsaturated or, you know, PUFA. It could be more than a third PUFA. Yeah. So a lot uh, of vegans get this one wrong. The majority of that is linoleic acid. Right. And a lot of Pen- vegans get, mm-hmm. because people yeah, say that, oh, it's a diet that, look, they fed a lot of fat and they got fat and, you know, it's, it says lard, but so people, you know, assume it's just, oh, it's saturated fat. It's almost all saturated fat. And it's not true. It's, so you said it's almost a third unsaturated or at, at least a third. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's around a third and mm-hmm. it, it really depends on the source, but, um, and as a comparison, like there are places in the world where pigs eat a lot of uh, roots and stuff and, and, and scavenge for animals and they could have a fatty acid content that's like, you know, almost like beef, but with more monounsaturated. So almost like um, butter and olive oil mm-hmm. sort of mixed together. Whereas, you know, these commercial pigs are like a third butter, a third olive oil and like a, a third just vegetable oil. Yeah, you know, just, the meat is straight. white. It's very weird. That's one very noticeable thing that when I moved to the States was like the, the pork is always like pure white. You know, if you buy just standard commercial pork, whereas other countries it's like brown. It's more like you guys call it boar here. But um, 
Yeah. So. Anyway. Well, they must be eating sugar. Those brown ones. Hey, <laughs> they're getting browned. We got a we got a couple of zingers here today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I just wanted to make sure that. Everybody in the potential audience is clear that I just laid down the gauntlet here. I said that not just I'm not just talking about one study, right? This is I'm saying the entire um, institution of animal research on diets has proven that a high sugar, low fat diet, you know, in the model animals that are used the most, these rodents, produces a lean, healthy animal. Because these diets, the, con- the control diets, use a lot of sugar. And I'm sure there's people that, for some reason, choose to maybe have a formulation that doesn't have sugar. And those mice are probably also fine. But all I'm saying is the most popular, most widely used diet of all time from you know this totally legit company that is considered the gold standard is a high, I mean, is 35% of your calories from sucrose high? I don't know. That's I think high. so. Yeah, it's well, higher than I. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Well, you had a t- in your talk at the uh, health symposium. Is it the 2017 one where you talked about the study? Um, the guy that went on a super low fat diet uh, is a very old study. Brown something. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking he was, about? He was like a lab tech or some type of science assistant for um was it somebody who was associated with the uh the burrs yes i think so well they gave him a very low fat diet maybe it was like two five grams fat and the rest was like a bulk of it was sucrose again and maybe defatted um uh dairy products yeah and- yeah they tried to give him a zero fat diet they tried to get his because cl- they what they were trying to do was induce essential fatty acid deficiency mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was the point and what um, happened with they that weren't guy? Able to do it. His migraines went away. His migraines went away. He lost <laughs> weight, right? What? What? Do you remember the name of that study or whatever? Or just so people can look it up. I have it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I can find it. And that, but that was the only kind of only of its kind that you ever found, huh? Where they kind of well, mm-hmm. there, um, there's clinical low fat because remember back in you know the 70s and 80s, low fat was still king, dietarily speaking. The only problem was, you know, people weren't really differentiating between types of fat. And there was also sort of other cultural things happening at that time where people were eating more like processed foods and fast food and stuff. So it was like a weird combination. But if you wanted diet food back then, it'd be like um, a low fat Twinkie. You know what I mean? Like uh, and um, so at that time, they were doing a lot of research that was showing that people lost weight if they were put on you know, a low-fat diet. It, it's basically the same thing as a low-carb diet, except mm-hmm. you know, just without the cortisol. It's effects of prolonged use of extremely low-fat diet on a, an adult human subject, 1942. And they say one of the most noticeable subjective effects of the diet was the marked absence of fatigue, the somewhat tired feeling usually uh, experienced after a day's work in the laboratory disappeared within a few days from the institution of the diet. After being six weeks on the diet, he observed that these periodic attacks of headache had suddenly uh, uh, subsided completely. Strangely enough, they have never occur- reoccurred. Mm-hmm. But you're right, Burr, Geo, Geo Burr was one of the people. Mm-hmm. So this was a guy that was put on a high-carb diet, very low-fat, and lost how much? How many pounds you lose there? 10, 15 pounds, something like that? 
Um, I think it's towards the end of the paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't much because he he wasn't fat or anything uh, before, yeah, yeah, but he that, did yeah. did lose a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Just to okay, and then you know, and and did you want to point something else out about the, about the gauntlet there? Because you laid down a gauntlet there. I don't. Wanna, <laughs> I don't, don't want to. Well, I just I. I the, the problem with these people is, again, it's an elaborate Mott and Bailey because it's absolutely true. There's a few things that are true, which is that fructose consumption increased in like mostly the latter half of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And it has gone down. He, he let that slip. Did you hear when he let that slip? He said um, median child sugar consumption is 18 teaspoons, which is about 90, 94 grams a day. And it used to be 120 grams. Mm-mm. And he said, he said it came down because of the obesity epidemic. This is another throwaway line. He said, oh, it came down because of the obesity epidemic. Okay, so huh. people are more conscious of not feeding children sugar. Has the obesity epidemic come down along with it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. The answer to that is no. Yeah. No, it hasn't. It hasn't stopped. I, like the increase in these issues has continued, even though pretty much from like the 20th to the 21st century, there has been at least a pause in the increase in sugar consumption. And in most demographics, especially like the traditionally health conscious ones, you know, a a decreased consumption. And yet, you know, all this stuff like type two diabetes, obesity, and just all of it has not gone, has not gone down with like back to like whatever, say say the sugar consumption now is like it was in 1987, just for example, right? Mm-hmm. All of the metabolic syndrome and obesity is not back to 1987 levels. Mm-hmm. It's higher. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how's that work? We need more time <laughs> for the browning to get get to wash get it away. out. Wash Saturation. out the browning, get a little bit lighter, and it's gonna be okay. <laughs> more regulations on sugar. <laughs> well, that's his next thing, right? You guys, at the end of the podcast, he talks about that. You know, he wants to, he wants to get serious about it. And I don't know, I, I don't know. I didn't hear that part, but I heard that he had gotten a master's in law. Yeah, I don't know if he's earlier. getting it or gotten it already, but he wants to, you know, start creating some laws against, you know, all that good. Well, stuff. You know, if he can't win a debate against somebody like me about why people should do this, then maybe he needs uh, the power of the state. You know, I mean, that's. <laughs> Isn't that generally the calculation that people make? <laughs> That's what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. Well, uh, any more notes on the gauntlet, sir? The gauntlet? Uh, yeah, I have one more. This is my general like outro notes. Is that Because um, when he said that, that thing that I mentioned earlier where every diet that works utilizes real food mm-hmm. as opposed to processed food. Um, and so that's his, that's his mott. That's his easily defensible castle. And it's easily defensible because most people agree with it. It's not even specific enough to really attack. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's, you know, it's it's actually probably in some ways correct, right? Because depending on what you mean by processed food, I mean, I agree with that statement. I largely agree with that statement. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is he keeps forwarding this bailey of sugar or fructose or whatever you want to call it is responsible. And sometimes he also says low fiber, but, you know, is responsible for all these problems. So he's saying, eat real food is the solution. But what the real solution that he should be forwarding is, is cut out sugar and eat more fiber. And I would guess if you could somehow do this experiment, which isn't really possible, but let's say you could magically de-sugar and add fiber 
to something that a normal person that's not diet conscious is eating mm-hmm. and maybe just increase how much they're eating to match the calories or whatever, like however you would do this in a controlled fashion. I don't think you would decrease very much the rate of obesity if you just took sugar away and added fiber back. Um, I mean, we're already seeing that the sugar is at least coming down, you know, and that hasn't helped at all. I don't, I haven't looked at fiber. I, I would probably guess that hasn't gone up very much, but, um, so the point is he's, he's like, um, he shouldn't be saying he, just increase fiber, like you said. His thing should be stop eating fructose. Don't eat fruit because it has fructose. It should be just all about sugar and fructose, right? Because if fructose is so bad, then don't right. eat fruit. But then they do that thing of where they kind of go, oh, well, but hold on. Apples come with fiber and have some minerals. So it's like, okay, if it's a little bit of fruit. But like, you know, like like you said, I, I understand what you're trying to say, man. Well, he's he's like, he's dog whistling. It's not really a dog whistle. He's like telling the low carb people he's saying something that's it's palatable right so if he uh-huh. said he's saying something that's palatable to like again and like danny said oh he's a true believer like he's probably a true believer but i think people especially somebody intelligent like him have a like horse sense at the very least for how to speak to audiences in their market especially somebody who's been he's been doing this for a long time um he's obviously successful at it one of the most successful people and he knows that if he makes a declarative statement one way or the other, it's going to like alienate a certain portion of his market. And so he has a market in mind and he knows that there's low carb people that like his work and that support him and that will not if he says certain things. And then there's other people that are kind of like, oh, I just don't eat sugar and, you know, they want to eat normal stuff and, and, you know, stuff like that. And so he's it's it's like this weird combination of trying to pretend like it's super scientific, but actually it's like very uh, focus group, like political, mm-hmm. um, like just, oh, you know, just do it's easy. Oh, it's easy. But actually, we're all going to die if we did fructose. And <laughs> oh, this is like the whole thing is caused by this. But actually, like just kind of eat normal food and like you can eat. Like oh, German bread is really hard. Like he's just throwing German out these fitness weird bread. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was that was funny. German fitness bread. I was like, oh shit, you brought out the German fitness bread over here. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, uh, so yeah, so ultimately, I, um, I just I'm not convinced by the guy. <laughs> Me neither. Um, well, listen, I also wanted to ask. Um, Danny, because you had a lot of uh, experience with clients, right? Um, and I just wanted to like ask you, like, what what has been your experience with telling people to eat more sugar? Not in the sense of you know how they respond to you at first, because maybe I'm sure some people at first are like, whoa, um, or who knows though? You you know you do deal with a certain type of client, but I just mean um, what has been their experience with adding more sugar in their diet? What kind of things have you heard from people that start eating more, and specifically sucrose, yeah, or maybe fruit, or you know, not talking about all the you know starches and all that other stuff? Yeah, the general things of more pleasant mood to better sleep to better libido, all those uh, things that people typically uh, act on if are like extremely problematic. And so whenever I, I talk about this stuff, I try to wrap it in kind of this cel- Hanselian Selian, how do you say that? View of, you know, I'm, I'm rarely ever talking about sugar and not trying to wrap stress around it because I think that's the easiest thing to talk about. Like everybody kind of knows their personal 
relationship with stress. And so we'll usually talk about that and then we'll talk about carbohydrate. But occasionally somebody will just like peruse a YouTube video and they'll be like, I'm doing all this healthy stuff. You know, I, I never eat sugar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Of course. And to explain it. And, and they'll be really taken, uh, is taken aback. Is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Like they'll be really weirded out that you, you have that point of view. And so then you'll have to say, oh, stress starts when the blood sugar gets too low. And then that increases like glucagon and adrenaline and squeezes the glycogen out of the liver and like explain that aspect of it. But, um, yeah, you know, um, I think generally good, good things come out of eating carbohydrate and especially sugars, but uh, I'm not like bullish on it. I don't, I don't tell people like they have to eat this or have to eat that. I'll just give my point of view. And, uh, but I, uh, other, other than people that have obvious intestinal problems, I really don't hear negative feedback on it, but that intestinal stuff is always a wrench into any food, any mm -hmm. implementation of any new food. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you've had people that maybe started eating more sugar and they told you they weren't just feeling funky or what the digestion was kind of off at first or what's the deal with the Yeah, well, sometimes I think the fructose malabsorption is kind of uh, so many people know about that, that again, I'm not saying it's not real, but like if, if they eat it, they'll notice some kind of intestinal uh, distress or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I'd say in general, it's good. It's weird because I really don't ever think about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> but do you but, think do you think that's from maybe a, a lack of them not eating sugar for so long that when they start eating it, like you said, then they're just feeling funky? But I mean, you know, that could be like that with any food, right? Yeah, no. So I wouldn't say that most people feel strange or something. I, I would say that generally most people tend to feel better or those symptoms that they associate with stress, they'll notice a reduction in those, whether it be better sleep or not being tense or not ruminating on negative thoughts and things like that. And so, um, so yeah, I'm always trying to like get into the person's, whenever I'm talking to them, I'm trying to think of like what they're associate, what they're thinking their problems are. Mm -hmm. And then throwing out ideas that might like mitigate uh, those problems, you know, and more carbohydrate is is one of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but then we'll go on to different things if if they've tried that because it's such like a low level uh, part in the pun, but lo like low hanging fruit to like that. Like I would I would almost expect anybody to, that was talking to me has already done that. You know what I mean? That's why I guess it's weird because I rarely ever talk about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah. So, you but know, that, Ray has that quote and it's like stress is the perceived need for sugar. So something like as basic as that. And I think he has another quote on the deeper level of like the um, failure to oxidize glucose to carbon dioxide is the uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> the the oxidative stress like the, in every tissue that's oxidative stress. Yeah. And so that that is a good bouncing off place to all those complicated uh, subjects, I think. And you yourself, do you have like a set? uh amount of sugar that you eat and i mean pure sucrose i mean do you do experiment do you do like you know i don't know a table fucking uh table a cup a day or something like that you have like a set number or you just kind of go by feel well, i don't know if you can uh it's i don't know if you, you got some sitting it. right there it's like, <laughs> somewhere over there it's just a big bag of a uh, beet sugar uh -huh. and then i just like scoop it in my milk and we'll put it to taste but i i have to say i'm not advocating everybody does that or something of course because um that works for me. And, you know, and the other thing is, uh, like I'm religious about eating liver, eating oysters, eating eggs and things like that. Like if a person wasn't doing those things, uh, that might be problematic to like get a huge amount of calories from 
white sugar or something. It just makes the milk taste better to me. And like, so I can like power through like two or three of these easily a day if I'm drink if I'm adding sugar to it. But I had probably said this before and I'd be interested in your guys' take, but like if I add too much sugar to milk before I go to bed and I'll like, I'll be like, Oh my God, it's so sweet. And then the, and then I'll wake up and drink that same milk and it will be way less sweet. And so that makes me think the glycogen is having some specific uh, effect on the taste. And so when my glycogen is depleted through the nighttime, I have like a lower threat. Is it lower? Th yeah. Lower threshold for things that I find sweet. And mm -hmm. as in the nighttime, I had a higher threshold for it. So, so you told us that last time and I rem and um, I started thinking <laughs> about it a lot. No, seriously. And um, you know, I tried that out and I started thinking, what if like, you know, there are just points in your day where you feel you need some sugar to, you know, do all those things that you talked about to lower stress, yada, 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 yada. Um, for me personally, it seems like nighttime is when I crave it the most. Like I love having a big bowl of ice cream with some honey in there or whatever, and just laying in bed and just rubbing it all over myself. You know, I love doing that. Um, uh, how about you, Kyle? You do that too? Oh yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty into like ice cream. I, I feel like. And this might be psychological, but there was some point last year because, uh, you know, all the crazy stuff with COVID and my like I wasn't going into work for a while because the labs like you weren't allowed to go on campus. My, um, all these weird things happened. And and then and then I got COVID <laughs> and uh, somewhere during that time, I started having a little bit of uh, sleep issues. And I was, I've always been able to sleep really easily, um, a little too easily, actually, like I could just sleep forever and I can still sleep very easily, but I have noticed that if I at all try to limit my caloric intake, especially of carbohydrate and sugars, um, in the say last third to a quarter of the day, mm -hmm. um, I will, and maybe I'm psyching myself out, but I will not fall asleep as fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Same thing as me. I don't know. Some people, I have talked to some people that prefer proteins or, you know, like light proteins, like fish or stuff like that before bed. I was, I, <laughs> no, seriously. I, I mean, I was like, Sick. You. <laughs> I, I'm like you though. For me, I, I feel the best when I have some sugar. I found that out when, um, I was doing one of these Vince Gironda diets one time where uh, you eat a salad, one salad a day for four days. Don't ask me why I did this. but um, So you eat just once. That's it. Nothing else. Just one salad, middle of the day uh, for four days. And then after that, you drink, uh, you start eating a steak with like your morning. And you, you only eat twice after that. So four days of just a salad, one salad a day, big ass salad, and then four days of steak and salad and yeah after those eight days my sleep was so fucking awful and i remember i ate i went to the store and i got myself a giant um pint of uh, uh ben and jerry's you know this is this is back in the day and i just and i was like i, I just remember eating it laying down in bed and just butterflies just coming out of my body i just remember <laughs> You just reminded me of your biohacker post where you're like, it all starts with four <laughs> Well, you know, those <laughs> guys. <laughs> like, oh, no big deal. Just a four <laughs> I love those guys. You know, they they have their best intentions in mind maybe. But yeah, man. 
Yeah, and then you got to stand on a vibrating plate, you know, and you got to do that shit. So, <laughs> I I almost feel like I mean I think we covered a lot of ground here, but I almost feel like it's a bit late. Like I feel like the nutrition realm or the advanced people have largely accepted that yes. sugar is now not the issue. And me personally, I feel like the metabolic rate is the next thing, and so that is not really plugged into the the equation, mm. and uh, and so that. Or carbon dioxide or whatever the hell. Uh, those yeah. things are the, the or, things or that are Or at least really... that word, metabolism, because, you know, polysalads <laughs> and all these guys, they have their um, uh, continuous glucose monitors on, like, everywhere, all the time. Ice, They're on their forehead. Ice bath. Yeah, and ice like bath. That. It's just like, and every time I these, like, like I said, you know, I try to tune into those guys just to see what's going on. And, um, yeah, it's always something about... You know, oh, it, speaking of COVID, you know, you don't want to get COVID. You got to make sure you're you have a good metabolic rate and blah 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 blah. And just, they just know how to fix it all. Even though he got it, by the way, did you guys hear? Polysalas got got COVID also. I did watch that. Yeah. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it's just you and him. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, not chatted about him too much. He did the the whole animal third. What was it called? The animal third. He's really kind of went main mainstream with all the. Yeah. Inclusion of different foods and things that he's uh, doing now. So what's he couldn't he be now? farther have, away from I, a carnivore I, diet. What, what's going? What's he? What's he saying now? The last thing I heard was just the COVID thing. I haven't followed. I, I think this month is like thirty days of uh, what did he called it? He called it like whole animal nutrition or something. But anyways, it's like almost exactly like a paleo diet. It's it's almost <laughs> indistinguishable from a normal paleo diet from what we we're hearing about in two thousand eight. Well, yeah, what what are those guys doing these days? Those guys like Rob Wolf and, and Mark Sisson, are they still doing the paleo diet? Are they calling it something else, the keto diet now, or what? Do you guys know? I don't. I haven't. Uh, Rob Wolf, I'll occasionally see like a YouTube video from. He seems like he's really off the map. And Sisson, I'm sure, is maintaining his empire. Well, Sisson, uh, oh but... yeah, Sisson moved to to Florida. I forgot he moved to Miami. He, he got all his money from that fucking mayonnaise stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you didn't know. Dude, he, he sold it to, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if it was Nestle, he sold it to some big brand, some big company or whatever, and he's got a lot of money, and uh, he was like, fuck that, I'm going to save all that and go to Florida, save all the taxes. I wouldn't be surprised. Wait, What's it even... called, Marquinaise? Oh, <laughs> three. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, boys, what else you got? Uh, <laughs> I think we, we did cover a lot ground. It was good though. <laughs> what else is going on? Everybody, anything new? Any updates? Well, I I do want to. So what you were just saying about the paleo people and um, mm-hmm. because I'm working on a video uh right now about uh another like nutrition like philosophy kind of philosophy of science video, and one of the components you just made me think of it is uh. <clears throat> I'm saying that the paleo, so the paleo um, paradigm, and it's all it, the paleo paradigm is kind of like the macrobiotic and a couple of other diets that never had the growth phase of uh, like the fad of say vegetarianism or veganism, and now the low carb stuff. Um, and the way I see paleo, it was a um, it was like a vessel for the seed of low carb. And you can see the tension. Like Danny was around and really saw that there was this thing growing inside of it and it mm-hmm. consumed its host. <laughs> uh, 
And the people that hitched their wagon to like low carb first, paleo second, rocketed, just like jumped on the heads and like crunched <laughs> the skulls of the people that were like, no, like carbs are fine as long as they're paleo. You know, those people just got left in the dust uh, in terms of, you know, audience and, and relevancy on the internet and all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, to summarize the point that I'm going to be making in this video is it's because to have a popular, uh, fad diet, you have to have, uh, something that you're excluding. And that thing has to be important in people's lives. So vegetarianism excludes meat, you know, veganism of course excludes all animal foods and low carb, you know, in the name. Uh, so you need like a, we're against, you know, to get that pop, to get that big, um, critical mass that can create empires, you know, strong like, horse, like, as you called it, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The return of the old gods. <laughs> and so, so something like, I, I don't know if you guys are even familiar with macrobiotic, but that's something that's been floating around yeah, alternative health spheres forever. Yeah. Like buckwheat And it noodles. just never got that pop. Yeah. yeah it's like, yeah. um, it's like seasonal eating and whole raw, foods. Yeah. It's soups. kind of based like yeah. traditional Chinese medicine adjacent. Mm-hmm. Even uh, when I raw vegan, I was like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> no. Yeah, me too. I had the same thing. I tried it for, I don't know, a day or two. And it's just like, fuck, I don't want to eat like miso soup for, for dinner or whatever. It's a sweet and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, chicks, those chicks that are married to like, you know, 50 year old dudes, you know, that have like a lot of money, they, they're kind of into those diets, you know, and they just, they don't eat that much. They just hang out and um, eat soup and stuff. Yeah, macrobiotic is basically a diet for somebody that was like wealthy and went to Whole Foods in like 2006. Yeah. It's like, I have a lot of money to spend at Whole Foods in 2007. I'm macrobiotic. I like how your gnashing of teeth and analogy for uh, uh, moving forward with low carb because that's happened again and again and again and again. And you're, you're so right. You, you have to be progressive and that's what typically happens or you're right you you are a, i don't know what rob's situation rob wolf situation is but he is kind of like a distant character in the grand scheme of things I, I hear nobody talking about him and dave same with dave asbury like he he seems to be totally eclipsed by carnivore and now carnivore with honey and and uh yeah whatever's going on there what do you guys think is going to be the next the next seed where I mean, where do you go from low carb though? When you're just eating meat and vegetables, I don't know where you can take it. Well, carnivore, right? We got carnivore. Where do you go from carnivore? Is this is this the end of our transformation, guys? Is this has the mutation been ended? Well, I think we've gone through a cycle, mm. yeah, like of like a total, a full cycle, yeah. And because there's always going to be a certain percentage of vegetarian and veganism, the low carb has reiterated at least. Because there was Atkins in the 80s, and that was more of a focus on protein. And now this time around, it's more of a focus on fat. I think that um, there's a – as low-carb becomes discredited, uh, first academically uh, and with cutting-edge things and then popularly – there's going to be a fraction, a fractioning, which I, we're already seeing, which is, you know, there will be the people that will never, ever give it up. There will be the people that will just give it up and just keep saying that they're carnivore or whatever and adding like honey and getting like 50% of their (laughs) calories from carbs. And then there will be people that are the true Vanguard 
true believers, which actually never reap the benefits, which is another thing. I have this uncle that he actually passed away last year and it was, uh, and I couldn't go to see him because of the COVID thing, which is my personal ax to grind about COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but he told what well, I, I don't know if you guys remember like things relatives tell you when you're really young, they just stick with you. Sure. And he told me when I was like in like high school, I don't even know what the topic was, but he said, you know, the really, the most brilliant people and the people that invent things are never really the people that benefit the most from it. It's always like the second tier. Um, and so what I'm saying is actually that somebody like, uh, Amber O'Hearn, she's sort of inventing actually new content intellectually and she's never going to reach like a, a Paul Saladino level of popularity because of this phenomenon. That's not wrong, but I think Amber has more integrity, <laughs> you know, like, well, yeah, that's, but that's the thing. It's, it's inverse to the success. So like, yeah. she's not, she's, um, she's like not marketing herself in a way, you know, on purpose because she's trying to do this other thing and she's always going to be like more sophisticated and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you know, Harry Potter books sell way more than like some good literature that we've never heard of that yeah. was published in the same year or something. Wolf is sort of an example of that. Like you said, yeah. Cause he's just kind of back there doing his thing and you know, cause he, he doesn't have that strong horse thing going on. Well, when I used to do a podcast with Chris Crusher, he would be on, he had his own supplement line for a while. Like he really, he was a oh, element. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those uh, magnesium and salt and something like that. Yeah, the like correct that. ratios. Of... I think he had deals with gyms and being a practitioner. No, I think he was a a big time business person. But um, but again, Polly Salas taking it to new levels. I think. Yeah, our boy Polly Salas. Well, well, come on, we can't end it on him. We got to end it on something else, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what I'm saying is, I I actually think that there isn't a next thing. Uh, because with the model that I'm putting forth here, a Ray Pete diet can't really become a fad in the popular consciousness because it does not exclude a dietary component. And I don't think PUFA is enough. You know, I think that there were, there will be sophisticated people that absorb that message and maybe even, you know, make, a diet around it and stuff, but I I don't think what we're talking about in general can become popular the way that carnivore and vegetarianism can. So maybe something will just come out of nowhere and surprise all of us, but I don't see anything that's strong enough to take the reins from because carnivore is kind of in a blow off top, mm-hmm. like like dumb money is like still going into it, so it's like still kind of going up, but all of the smart money is is leaving i i'll occasionally type in carnivore diet with quotes in youtube and i remember a time when there was like new video new video from popular like carnivore influencer people and now it's almost like a ghost town and so (laughs) so yeah i think uh once all those people defected i think you're right you're i think you're totally right there's going to be some kind of cycle uh and it will end with dave asper (laughs) so you guys don't think they'll just you know just to be uh there's you don't think there's going to be any guy that's like you know super ultra repeat kind of you know uh no starch no no poof uh just like you know the the repeat inspired diet book Mm -hmm. 
I just I can't see a formulation of that. Where's that a hat? Be... He has like a red light. He has around just like a like a right. strap that's around it's, him it's at too all complicated. times. And he's got like a headband with red lights around. See, you it. sound like you're talking about macrobiotics. You've already <laughs> lost. You've already lost a significant. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wait, what does red light have to do with vegetable oil? Like, and why do you keep saying estrogen? <laughs> so you're saying it's, it's too like... a little too complicated at that point, huh? Yeah, because these things are run on the operating system in the brain of religion uh-huh. okay so they need to have a tenant that is uh that fits into those basically neurological pathways and for whatever reason uh cutting out meat and having that be the central thing of your way of eating or cutting out animal foods in general fits into that, which makes a lot of sense because that's that's actually been a religious practice for many millennia, and uh, there really wasn't anything that was able to capture that energy, because of course there were always diets, there was always low fat and stuff, but I don't think low fat was kind of kind of played second fiddle to vegetarianism because it was kind of related, yeah. especially in the most of the 20th century, because, you know, animal foods tend to have fat pretty much all the time unless they're intentionally defatted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- those ran together kind of like paleo and low carb. So it's almost like paleo was the the vessel for the seed of low carb the same way as like low fat was the, the vessel for the seed of uh, like a hardcore vegetarian or a vegan diet. And I... I don't see another food item that you can say, okay, this is what we're against and we're all going to come together and say all of our problems will go away if we cut this out. Hmm. Well, gentlemen, it's been great. (laughs) (laughs) So we may come full circle then. All right, guys. Well, thank you for the chat. Yeah. Anything else to add? Parting words? DanyWright.com, Kyle Mamunis' uh, YouTube page, Nutrichronology. It'll all be linked. Hey. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Things you own end up owning you.